On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Justin Young, who is an athletic trainer, just finished up his DAT at Indiana State, um, and has really taken the reins of implementing a tactical athlete care center. And honestly, for me, this was a great opportunity for something I'm hoping to generate and start where I'm currently at and working. Uh, and so I learned a lot personally, but I think the information that Justin shared is really useful for this area that has emerged and is such a unique and highly beneficial area for athletic trainers to be in and have a high impact. Uh, it, it's just, he had a lot of good information and things that I will take forward. Um, and I think everybody else can probably glean some benefit from, even if you're not necessarily in that setting. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Uh, for all the new Mueller ambassadors, welcome. Uh, you're going to have nothing but good experiences with Mueller. They really want your feedback. It's been awesome to see all those images come up across uh, social media. Feel free to tag us in it. We'll reshare everything you guys are doing uh, and helping advance the profession forward and partnering with a company that loves everything athletic trainers do. So check them out. Uh, as everything is coming to fiscal year end and also getting ready for next year. Without further ado, enjoy this episode. episode of athletic training chat we are on with justin young who is an athletic trainer uh in indiana uh, doing slash finished dat um at indiana state uh as if you've listened to the podcast before we've had faculty on from indiana state we've had numerous people that have gone through and are or going through that program so um, there seems to be a trend in why we come back, uh, but we are talking to Justin about tactical athlete care. Uh, I will be the first to admit this is a dual purpose podcast for me as we're hoping in my new role to figure out how to do some of this because it just seems like such a great spot for athletic trainers. Um, and also it's just a really unique um, emerging slash really kind of new, but what an impactful place for an athletic trainer to be um, serving the people that serve us. So uh, without me continuing to ramble, I want to turn it over to Justin, just give a little bit more background of what you would like, and then we'll jump into what you do and how it's kind of come to be. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for having me here to start. I'm really excited to, to get to chat about this kind of stuff. Um, so like you said, I, I work with public safety personnel uh, in a medium sized, uh, community in Western Indiana. Uh, I am subcontracted through a local hospital system to provide those services. Um, and really the primary things we focus on uh, in, the, in the care clinic that I work through is um, kind of injury prevention, um, then also pain management. Uh, and those are kind of the two primary focuses for us, as well as just kind of navigating or helping helping those patients navigate and access the healthcare system a little bit more efficiently than they uh, might have beforehand. Um, and I can, 
we're going to talk a little bit about kind of tactical athlete care and stuff in general, but I think before we get into that, I should probably give a little background on how we deliver care specifically in my model, because I think it might be a bit different than some of the other models um, that are around for kind of tactical athlete care or public safety care. Um, so I don't, I and my coworker don't personally see any um, work-related injury. Okay. Um, that's contractual. Um, when they initially set that up, that's kind of the language that was wanted for uh, to respect the, the contracts that were already in place with the providers um, and insurance programs for, for the city. Um, so what we primarily see is non-work-related injuries um, or pains uh, that could affect work in, in some way, shape, or, or fashion. Um, so that's kind of, I think, a little bit different, maybe unique compared to what others um, see in this setting. I also see both um, fire and police. So you kind of have a mixed bag um, where it's not just one or the other. Um, that's a little bit kind of about what I do right now. Uh, any other questions and things I should touch on before we get into the, the meat of it? No, but just based on that, because I think that was something that was kind of unique in a conversation I had. We were talking off camera with, you know, uh, Cody Tesh, uh, which I'll have to look up the episode, but working with the Milwaukee Fire Department. Um, when you say you don't see any work-related injuries, but you see potential pains and things that could impact, is that kind of a fine line you have to walk, or is that something that the, you know, the, the uh, firefighter or police officer comes to you and says, hey, you know, this has just been aching that you kind of determine, hey, this is, you know, an injury, this is potentially a result in lost time. Now we got to help, as you kind of mentioned, navigate you through the proper channels for that verse. You know, I guess it's kind of, you know, are you hurt in quotes or are you injured where, you know, hurt, you can kind of work through some things and, you know, you're not going to miss time necessarily versus injured, you know, you're out if we're going to kind of put it in, you know, athletic related. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a gray area. Sure. Um, So uh, what's, I guess the toughest part for me is you know, a lot of these officers have been working for upwards of five, 10, 15 plus years. Um, so who am I to say that some of their aches and pains may not be or have been work-related at some point? Sure. Um, the way we navigate it specifically is I will outright ask the question, did this happen at work? Okay. Um, and then if they say, yes, it did. My follow-up question is, do you intend to pursue uh, a work comp claim for this? And if they say no, we document that specifically, and then we treat. Um, and that's kind of how we navigate that, um, just with that language. Um, but there have been times where uh, we've had to um, not provide care based on the responses given. Sure. No, that makes a ton of sense. And that was one um, that Cody had mentioned just that, that work comp, especially given those professions, you know, <laughs> where there is always a chance of, you know, there, there is a different professions, but I think sitting behind a desk, obviously a little less high risk than necessarily, you know, going out and fighting a fire for four hours. So, um, no, that's really interesting. Um, and appreciate the insight on that. You're answering some of those questions I might have for you later already, but um, yeah, one of the, 
first questions is because we had mentioned this is relatively new and emerging. Uh, there's some athletic trainers in the military. Uh, I haven't dug too far in, but I know there's some um, people doing very similar work at, to yourself um, in, you know, with this group of people. How would you define tactical like athlete care? I know that's very open-ended, but that's kind of on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, it comes down to patient-centered care. Um, like, like it would with any patient, these patients just tend to have different needs, uh, whether those needs are um, behavioral or social or, or physical. Um, they're doing things that are different than some of the traditional, quote unquote, traditional um, settings that we work in sure. as a profession. Um, so really, it's just understanding what those, what those needs are um, and adapting or altering your practice to, to fit those needs. And so you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but from what I got from Berea, you're, you kind of maybe started this basically from scratch or you were kind of one of the first in on that. Can you just talk about that process and what it took for you to, A, you know, how did you get the opportunity mm -hmm. and B, just how you went the routes you did and we can get into some more details there. Yeah. Uh, so process is a, a very good way to, to phrase that because it has certainly been that so far. Um, right. So, <laughs> As we were learning when we talked about contracts with the, what I'm dealing with too. You, yeah. Two big entities, nothing happens quickly. Right. Yes. Things move slowly in, in that part of the government, that's for sure. Um, right. But yeah, so the opportunity came along. Um, Indiana State had a tactical athlete care clinic uh, that they actually ran through their university for a little bit. Okay. Um, and that was in Terre Haute, Indiana. Um, and some things happened there. Um, and there was a decision to potentially move that um, to a different location. And uh, at that point, I was graduating from my master's program, looking to pursue some other things. Um, I had a, a, a close friend and colleague, um, who kind of said, hey, we think you'd be a fit for the DAT specifically. And mm -hmm. we know that you that they have this opportunity opening up. Um, and prior to that, I had worked with some Army ROTC patients during okay. my time at Missouri State. So I had some a little bit of a background with the, the population or similar populations um, and was kind of interested in pursuing further. So I you know, applied for the DAT, got in and kind of made it known that this was the avenue that I wanted to pursue. Um, so I was afforded that opportunity early on. Um, the program that we began, uh, thankfully, was primarily funded um, with the help of Indiana State. So we were run by two graduate assistants at the beginning, and then it was facilitated by a healthcare system um, in our area that was really doing most of the work behind the scenes, getting the contracts, um, getting local municipality on board um, and all of the, all the stuff that um, needs to be done that um, maybe we aren't the most adept at doing sure. all the time. Um, so really the, the two entities, the local, the local health system and then um, Indiana State um, kind of partnered and provided this, this opportunity with um, the city. And from there I had I worked with, like I said, another GA, um, and together we we had kind of a, an idea of what was 
what we wanted to look like, starting mm -hmm. with the screening process. Um, Indiana State had used a, a certain screening process. Um, and so we adapted a little bit of what we did from that. Um, and our goal was really to do a mass screening, get a bunch of data on what was going on, and then kind of use that data to, in the initial stages, um, facilitate our decision-making related to um, kind of care and rehab, um, and then eventually work towards creating um, both individual and population-based prevention programs. Um, so that was uh, kind of September, 2019. Um, and in addition to having that framework for the screening, we were doing a bunch of uh, literature reviews on the populations um, because really neither of us had any experience uh, working with them. Uh, sure. So that was something that we were pretty, um, we had the time and the opportunity to dig into the literature and really try to understand more about them. Um, so September 2019, we roll out, we have an independent clinic um, and without getting into too much of the details we have kind of a way or a system in place for how people are going to visit and all that stuff um and we roll that out and it's relatively successful um getting in between about 100 and 150 encounters per month okay. um which was for having a, a total department of you know between police and fire about a, 100 people we were pretty wow. ha happy and satisfied with with those outcomes um but then COVID happened um like I'm sure everybody had seven your podcasts for however sure. long now. Um, sure. And we were um, kind of, um, I'm totally blanking on the word. Uh, we, were, we were given other opportunities in the hospital um, and our clinic kind of shut down for, for the time being, mostly because sure. um, those groups are already like police and fire already at pretty high risk being in contact with the general public. Um, as much as they are. So they wanted them to minimize their amount of contacts in general. Um, and that really gave us an opportunity to uh, think and plan and kind of address some of the issues and challenges that we had seen up until that point. Like we had, we, we thought we had been successful, but um, there's always that opportunity to be better than, you know, what you were before. Right. Um, so we started planning, started strategizing, um, and reopened, I would say it was like July, 2000, 2000 and 2019, 2020, 2020. Um, there we go. Um, and at that point we knew that this, this contract we had signed with the city was only um, two years long. Yep. And so we were, we were starting to, to run out of time as far as um, demonstrating our value to them in terms uh, that they could understand. Um, because right now it had been free, but, um, you know, every, anything free is worth saving up for. So they had no reason not to want it. Um, yep. so, so our goal from that point until very recently was to demonstrate what we did uh, as valuable to both the individual patients and to the entities as a whole. Um, and that actually turned into us pretty much doing a 180 and altering um, kind of how we deliver care. So 
and sometime in December, um, there were some extenuating circumstances, but we essentially lost our, our clinic that had been in the um, former city hall. Okay. Um, and we had to kind of adapt. We had some ideas, but we really um, didn't have a, a great plan. Um, and so we adjusted and decided to pursue maybe being in-house. So we okay. um, talked with, you know, the stakeholders involved. We're able to get space in, in both the PD and one of the fire stations. Um, and then again, we noticed that they maybe not, they didn't maybe see the value in that, um, mostly because it took them away from their responsibilities, having to come back into the department during the day. Sure. Um, and so we adapted again. Um, and this is kind of the, um, the nail in the value coffin, so to speak, but we decided to, to go mobile. Um, so we get, we now go to every station during the day to deliver our care through, through a mobile clinic, so to speak. Um, so that's the long story long of kind of the progression and process of the, of attack, but really the, the, the root is, um, you know, really strong in our screening process that we're continually trying to improve. Sure. Um, stronger data collection um, and our analysis so we can have that to kind of guide decision-making. Um, and then it's, to top it all off, the last thing that we really try to push is patient education on why we do what we do and um, how we can enhance kind of their experiences, not just on duty, but off duty as well. One thing I wanted to come back to, and you said it a couple of times, um, and, you, and then you answered a little bit, but the demonstrating value portion of it, um, mm -hmm. you mentioned, you know, it, it, it started off, it was a free service, you know, to these areas in, as you referenced, COVID gets in the way of, every, got away in the way of everything, which, you know, put a huge dent in that. Um, you obviously can share as much or as little as you want to around this based on where it is, but with a contract renewal potentially coming up or maybe that's already done, um, were there specific metrics or anything that you found that was the most useful? Was, you know, was it, you know, run loss data around injuries? Was it just general satisfaction of people on the force? Hey, I just, I just feel better and I'm able to do my job better and I don't feel like I have, you know, I'm not as aches and pains um, and again, not entirely knowing exactly where you are in it and I'll let you decide how much of that you want to get into, but, you know, is there certain metrics or things that you found that have been most impactful? Uh, cause I think that's something a lot of ATs, especially maybe going out on their own a little bit, depending on state laws and things that are mm -hmm. you know, changing or just in emerging settings, like that's the basis of it all. And it's sometimes it's not always the easiest thing to do. Yeah. Uh, so I think the biggest thing I'll, I'll, I'll start with what I learned. Sure. Um, and then we'll talk about how I, uh, how we in, in the clinic started to, to try to demonstrate this value. But, um, based on some of that research that I had talked about earlier, um, that we had done kind of at the onset of the program, uh, I was, I firmly believe we'd be able to show improvements in time loss, um, or uh, days missed from work, things of that, of that nature, or work comp claims. Um, and really about a year in, we realized that the city itself 
that we work with doesn't have a whole lot of comp claims. It's a relatively small department and um, it's just not something that they deal with. So that whole, uh, that whole aspect of value being related to dollars and cents yep. um, didn't really, it didn't really appeal to them or, or it didn't really matter to them quite as much as I would have anticipated. Um, so then one point you did touch on was patient satisfaction. Um, about a year in after COVID is when we actually went back and took satisfaction, like gross satisfaction surveys um, to kind of, with that, we really wanted to understand what we were missing um, more so than if they were satisfied with the service. Um, so we used that to both demonstrate value um, and to kind of um, adapt our services based on what you know, the patients thought that, that we were not at a time. Um, so that kind of had a two, a twofold, um, purpose. Um, then the other, the other part is, and I can, I can say this, we have gotten into contract negotiations and, um, what we've done is taken all of the data that we've collected. We've now done three screens, um, over 18 months and we've compared, uh, the measurements from, first, second, and third screening, but then we've also broken it down into people who have used our services um, more or less. Essentially, we've categorized them into three groups, um, and we can prove that people who have utilized our services, I think the category right now is 19 to 30 times. Okay. Um, so people who have used them 19 to 30 times have reached minimal detectable changes on just about all of their they were more likely to reach minimal detectable changes on a lot of their movement screens um, and different tests that we've done. So able to show the city in those contract negotiations, hey, we're helping people move better. Um, but then it's taking it a step further, right? Um, not everybody's gonna care if their employees move better. It's being able to um, kind of elaborate and detail why that matters for their work experience and right. how it's gonna um, eventually and hopefully um, improve their their satisfaction, not just with their health, but their satisfaction with the work environment as well. Makes sense. Yeah. So that's how we've, we've done it. And I think in, in other areas, really the financial benefits are probably going to be a bit, a bit more important than they were for us. Um, sure. But really it comes down to just understanding what your stakeholders want and also kind of what your patients are looking for as well. No, that makes a, a lot of sense. And I think sometimes, as you kind of talked about, like it's this one thing that seemingly it makes the most sense. And I know even in trying to like get a hospital system to help us out with like another athletic trainer, like downstream revenue seems to be a no brainer, but ultimately even to the hospital, they're like, yeah, but not really like that. Right. It doesn't just you know, just because you know you're going to send at least one or two surgeries, that doesn't just automatically translate boom into, you know, another position. And so I, I completely understand that. And yeah. I've learned that lesson in other regards as well. Right. Um, what unique challenges are there in working with this population? I know we've come across a couple of just in some real early things that we're looking at doing, some hesitancy. Uh, with some stuff, but what have you come across? And then on the se second side of that, how have you potentially addressed it? You kind of had like, as you mentioned, the three categories of use, you know, 19 plus times and whatever it may be. 
Uh, what have you potentially seen other than they just maybe don't get hurt or they don't, you know, whatever very often in that lower tier? Sure. Um, I think one of the biggest uh, challenges for, and this is for me personally. So one of the biggest challenges that I've faced is understanding that um, more specifically on the fire side, a lot of these guys work, guys and girls work um, more jobs than just their fire job. Sure. Um, because when it comes down to it, the way shift work works for them, they're really only working about 10 days a month, um, 10, 24 hour shifts a month, at least where I'm at. Um, okay. So they have, they have the opportunity to do other things. Um, and initially I didn't really understand or try to understand that. Um, even though those other things are affecting them or their injuries and pains are affecting those other things more so than some of their fire um, work tasks or work-related duties. Sure. Um, so really getting a better grasp of that was probably one of the initial challenges that I faced because I wanted to bring everything back to work tasks when um, that wasn't necessarily what they were needing or wanting. Um, I think you touched on a little bit of hesitancy um, that I don't want to say it's inherent to these populations, but I do think, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase it. Um, I think in general, a warrior mentality is pretty common. Um, yeah, kind of the, I can, I can push through. It's not that big of a deal. Um, they're, they're still a part of teams. Um, so really that responsibility they hold to their team, I think is um, pretty important to them. Overcoming that, I think, is just education, like it would be with any patient, really just sitting down and saying, hey, I'm not like, I'm not saying you're soft for needing to come see me. I'm not trying to remove you from anything. And in my role, like, I, I can't remove people from work. So right. um, just educated on that and saying, hey, like, I'm here to try to help help you feel better to decrease your pain and help you be able to do th the things you want to do. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest answer to overcoming any of the challenges is, is really just uh, kind of educating on what your role is, whatever your specific role is to those populations. Um, and that's education. That's teaching them what your education is, what your training is, what you're there for. Um, you know, if you're doing a test, what that test is for. Mm -hmm improving diagnosis or improving education on diagnosis and prognosis. Um, it really comes down to just patient-centered care um, geared towards them. Kind of going off, you know, the tactical athlete care, do you feel like that framing of it like that helps? Like I, I for me, it, I think, you know, tactical strength and conditioning, you know, tactical performance, you know, even just calling, you know, referring to them as tactical athletes brings it just to a different level of like, Hey, we're just coming in. We're going to work on your fitness or, you know, whatever. And that mindset, or have you found anything else and just kind of how you're referring to it, you know, in terms of potentially even addressing them as an athlete, it's just not in the traditional sport court track, you know, or whatever it may be sense. And that tactical bit, tends to just shift a mindset maybe i think yes and no okay 
So for me, we use that term a lot um, yep. when we were first pitching the program and it was valuable for uh, stakeholders to hear that. Sure. But when we started using it with, and this isn't for every patient, but when we started using it with patients, they kind of, they would get a kick out of it, not considering themselves athletes. Sure. Um, so we've kind of gone away from at least calling it that um, to them, but we do like to be conscious in reminding them that they are more physically active um, mm -hmm. than people that work other, other, um, other members of the workforce. Um, but I could see that being more valuable depending on where you're at. Um, right. and, and maybe departments that are incredibly competitive or um, challenging to get into from a um, entry standpoint that could, that idea of, you know, you all are athletes and we're here to help you train and improve your health health-related quality of life, that kind of thing, I think could be valuable. Definitely. Um, kind of going all the way back to the screening and the prevention programming that you're doing. Um, obviously, it's evolved, um, as you've referenced, and this mobile clinic. Have you found that compliance amongst, you know, a certain percentage, maybe the ones that come and see you guys more often, for if, if you're doing this kind of the home-based or, you know, the things they can do on their own, obviously just because you can't, you're not necessarily there every day, there's not necessarily required sessions that they're at. Um, have you found that to be successful? Uh, have, is it still something that's evolving and a challenge or what other potential hurdles have you come across um, for lack of a better description with them doing their homework um, in terms of, you know, their own stuff based on the results that you guys are, um, providing them from the, your screening. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a tough question to answer. Um, <laughs> I, I probably should be more intentional with follow-ups regarding some of the stuff we give them at home. Sure. Um, most so earlier when I mentioned the prevention program and wanting to eventually get to a point where we're doing some population-based stuff, yep. um, most of what we've given out in the past has been individual and region-specific. Um, and yeah, I don't, it's hard for me to say if they're adherent or compliant to some of those things. Sure. Um, now we are hoping to roll out, we just finished our, our actual third screening um, about a week and a half ago. Um, and after this, this data analysis, we're starting to see some trends over the past 18 months. Um, so we're hoping by the end of this summer to have a screening pro or not screening, sorry, a population based prevention, uh, program in place, um, that they'll do on shift, hopefully. Okay. Um, that's the idea. So then we'll be able to, um, incorporate that into kind of their daily checkoff of things that they have to get done, um, and be able to more regularly monitor, their adherence to those type of things. That makes complete sense. Last kind of question I've got around some of the, you know, the tactical athlete care and 
I know we haven't necessarily talked about any fitness related stuff, but in your literature review, I'm sure you've stumbled across it and had conversations, especially on the fire uh, department side. Um, I haven't dug into the police side that much myself, but, you know, with cardiac arrest, you know, being the number one killer of firefighters and yep. potentially, and I believe we just met with a couple of them last week, that being almost occurring on the way to a fire um, it was the ones that they referenced. Is that something that you guys have looked at, taken into consideration, provided any um, assistance or recommendations on? Um, is that, you know, or is that tied into your screening, which sounded more movement-based at all, or something that maybe is in the future building to be part of what um, this whole tactical athlete care clinic provides? Yeah. Um, so we um, kind of initially over the first two screening processes had uh, incorporated blood pressure pulse yep. uh, and we're monitoring those kind of simple characteristics um, and found some pretty staggering information uh, related to blood pressure. And that's one of the things that we brought to uh, the table when we started having contractual uh, discussions was kind of, hey, look, um, these individuals, it, the number was roughly like 80 to 90% of the department, the fire department demonstrated um, pre-hypertensive or hypertensive blood pressure. Um, and based on kind of what we presented them, they were interested in what else we could do with more information. Um, and so we had uh, intended to um, utilize an aerobic fitness test this last mm -hmm. go around. Um, and some of our material materials didn't come in the way. The test we were uh, gonna use was a Chester step test. Um, which is, uh, it's a test used to estimate VO2 max and also incorporates kind of some stair climbing, um, which is a big component of what um, firefighters do. Um, so didn't get the materials for that. Um, but yes, that, that isn't our plan is to start uh, measuring kind of aerobic fitness. And uh, in some of the, so I guess one thing I didn't mention earlier is on top of the prevention, we do do some just general, um, musculoskeletal and aerobic fitness, um, exercise programming. Oh, nice. Um, and so for the patients that have been um, requesting that over the past six or so months, we've been, um, trying to utilize more high intensity exercise, um, to target both of those systems at once. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the two things we've done intentionally to address that. Um, hopefully we plan on doing another screening sometime in August or September. Um, we'll be able to collect more data, um, with that, that Chester step test at that point. Makes sense. Anything that we didn't cover yet that you wanted to cover? I feel like I, I mean, if for anybody that's watching this on YouTube, I've got my notes and I write extremely small. So I've, there's a lot on this one page of paper, but, um, anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted to touch on? Uh, nothing from my end. I know this was a twofold thing for you so is there anything else that you think you're missing or that the audience might be missing no honestly i think you you did a great job covering all of it i was you know one of the curious things was just you know 
you're employed through a health system, mm-hmm. which is different than the previous, as I've referenced, Cody Tesh, who's actually employed by the city. Yep. Um, so that some of those things come with just different liabilities and different things. Um, I think what you talked about was really unique in terms of like, you know, I, and I, these are my words, the hurt versus injured type things and the different things you can do there, um, which, you know, is kind of a workaround, but definitely something that was curious um, to see on because that's not something that a lot of athletic trainers deal with because it's not seen as workman's comp in the high school and the collegiate setting. Um, now that I kind of think about it in the pro setting, I guess that kind of technically could be, so that gets a little interesting, but, um, anyway, (laughs) um, completely different aside to that. So no, honestly, I think I've got a lot of, got a lot of what I need, um, from this one. So I appreciate you on that one. Yeah. Um, if you're good with it, we'll jump right into the AT chat questions and see what you got to say there. Yeah, for sure. So the first one is, where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? And if you could set the example, and I'm going to put a little caveat on this, I'd be curious as to your take on the kind of general profession, and then specifically kind of in this tactical athlete care. Sure. Um, So I'm going to answer this question with where I would like to see us going. Absolutely. Um, I think we have a really unique opportunity to serve – as population and community-based um, access points to healthcare for people. Um, I think we are, within the last five to maybe 10 years, starting to realize um, the type of value we might have to our communities. Um, I think within the next five to 10, 10 years, I would like to see us really partner with public health and community entities to provide um, healthcare and access to healthcare um, in, a, in a bigger kind of grander scale. Um, and I think that kind of leads me right into to what I'm talking, or what you asked about the, um, the more tactical athlete-based example. Um, I don't like to call it an emergency setting because um, it's, it's emerged already, but sure. um, I think it, that space, We know um, both police and fire are at a higher risk of work-related injury than um, any other working population. Um, So I think being able to partner with the communities that they work within to provide care to them, not only benefits their health, um, but it also in turn um, benefits the health of the community. And so I think that's kind of uh, where I see athletic trainers in this role specifically serving is, is serving the greater community by helping the people that keep them safe. Love it. What advice would you go back and give yourself as a young athletic trainer? And could you set when specifically that would be? Yeah. Uh, this was a fun question to think about. Um, I, the, the advice I would give myself is that it would be to, to, to the very recently graduated me who was, um, working to establish, uh, kind of a relationship with Army ROTC at Missouri State University and, and try to build a program there as well. Um, and it would be that I'm not an expert or I wasn't an expert, 
Um, I think at that point in my career, I had a lot of notions about what I was capable of or what I knew um, and probably knew less than, than I thought. Or I definitely knew less than I thought I did. Um, and then I think to, to build off that, um, the second piece of advice I would give is that um, we as athletic trainers are not there to direct patient care. Um, we're there to facilitate patient care. Um, I think early on or earlier on in my career, I had a very like, these are, this is your option. Mm -hmm. Um, this is what I'm going to do to help you. Um, and throughout the last several years, um, come to realize that our role is, these are the options. What can I do to help you? Um, so I think understanding that, you know, I wasn't an expert and being an expert is a lifelong process. It's not a goal that you, you eventually reach. Um, and then really putting the patient at the center of care and providing them all the options possible and then facilitating whatever their decisions are. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I've never heard it worded like that, especially on the direct versus facilitate. And that's extremely well said. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to steal that and use that for a few, for some conversations. That was great. There you go. What has been the most influential resource that you have found in your career thus far? So with this, do you want to know like a single resource, like a, like a book or a podcast or what? Yeah. I mean, if you've got one um, or it could be also very general too. I mean, okay. talking, you know, just so, people, preceptors, Twitter has come up more often than I thought it would, but I don't, yeah, I don't mess that. I, I don't disagree with it. So I think so for me personally, um, my time in the Indiana State DAT has probably been the most influential. Okay. Um, just because it challenged me to do things uh, both different and better than I had done in the past. Sure. Um, and really apply a lot of what I was being um, taught during that time. Um, as far as like a specific resource, um, early on when I was less familiar with clinician rated outcomes and screening tools. Um, one tool that I really leaned on and actually I still, still lean on quite a bit um, is sralab.org. Um, so Shirley Ryan lab, I think is what it is. Um, but they have a pretty cool database where you can go in, search whatever tool you're trying to use, whether it's clinician-based or patient-based. Um, and they give you kind of a their staff has done a literature review on it. So you get some background information. Um, they have kind of all of the statistics you might want, whether that's minimal detectable changes, reliability, validity, feasibility, all that stuff. Um, and it's, so I will say it's not peer reviewed, um, but it's a pretty cool resource, especially for kind of generating ideas of what you might want to add to your practice or uh, how best to use certain things. I have never heard of that. And we'll definitely go check it out. Check it out. Yep. If you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, a common practice, or a mindset, or anything else you're choosing in the field of athletic training, what would it be? 
so for me, when I was thinking about this, it came down to mindsets and it was a few different ones. Um, but I think the biggest one that I've come across is what I would call like the piece of the pie mindset. Like the idea of, I think, especially in the rehabilitative space, we tend to get very um, territorial and think there's only so much pie um, for whether that's, you know, athletic trainers, physical therapists, occupational therapists. Um, when in reality, there's a bunch of different pies that we can all choose from if we see it that way. Um, so I think the idea that all other healthcare professions are adversaries or um, are different than us mm-hmm. um, is something I would like to see changed because really we should be working or trying to work within a greater collaborative team. Um, and and we, there's not just one pie. There's a lot of different pies that we can all right. um, have enough of. Completely agree with that one. Um, I'm totally blanking on the guy's name, but he always talks about, he's more of a financial investor type guy, but mm-hmm. just talks about abundance and, you know, yeah. the guy that's operated on that level of that level of money. And it's like, there's plenty for everybody to, you know, get their shake. And uh, if I've learned anything, um, in just in my short time in the clinic so far is there's a ton of hurt people. It amazes me how many people are coming in every yeah. day needing something. Um, and we're not in a gigantic community either. Uh, so that, that is something that I, I agree with uh, when it comes to that. Yeah. I think if we stopped wasting some of the energy we do, um, or I guess spending the energy that we do, um, making adversaries of other other people or other clinicians, we'd have, we'd find a lot more time in the yes. to, to find our space. This is driving me nuts what this guy's name is. I was going to try and look up his podcast real quick. Yeah, go for it. It's his name right in the podcast. Um, Naval Ravikant. That's what his name is. Got it. I don't think I've heard him, and I will definitely have to check that out. Yeah, he talks a lot about like finances and whatnot. I picked him up off the Tim Ferriss show as I pick up mm-hmm. almost everybody. Um, but yeah, he's he's a really interesting guy. Um, his podcast is interesting because it was like a full on like question and answer, but he broke them down into like four minute segments, so you can just like pick up on little things really quickly. That's really cool. interesting, dude. Um, last question. This is the big one. Uh, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? No kidding on the big one. Uh, this is a pretty broad question. Um, so I think I've kind of touched on it throughout maybe, but I think being an athletic trainer to me means that I have the ability to impact and influence patients in a greater way than other providers might just based on the level of touch points that we have. Like I think we're afforded a really cool opportunity um, to have multiple progressive touch points with people. Um, and so to me, that's, that's what I, that's what athletic training or being an athletic trainer means to me is, is really having an ability to impact and influence somebody, um, in a way that maybe others aren't, aren't, aren't given, um, or afforded that opportunity. It has been the biggest hurdle for me personally, just switching from collegiate setting where you just, as you said, you get to see people daily or, Mm -hmm. you know, every other day to, now I may be able to provide 15 or 30 minutes of like home care exercises and I'll probably never see you again. 
when I right. really think I could help you if I could just get you to come back two more times for 15 minutes this, you know, over the next couple of weeks, which just doesn't necessarily work within the model. But yes, I, I that's spot on, I think. I, that would be frustrating for me as well. So it is a very different approach to it, which is yeah. forcing me to evolve like communication and like, how do I put the, you know, the emphasis on like, this could really help if you go and do it. And then also figuring out other mediums to try and get them to buy in. Right. So, well, in closing, is there anything else you'd like to share? And then after that, if people wanted to connect with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Um, I guess my one lasting thought is what gets measured gets done, whether that's in patient care or um, value demonstration, uh, what you're measuring and doing on a daily basis or what you're measuring on a daily basis is what gets done and it's what people see. Um, so I think that's an important aspect of athletic training that's evolving um, and something that needs to continue to evolve and take root. Um, and then if people want to connect with me, I just recently created a Twitter. So I'm sorry that my answer to the resources wasn't on Twitter, but um, on Twitter, uh, the, the name is Justin Y underscore ATC. Um, and I also have a LinkedIn uh, that I'm, I wouldn't call active, but I'm there. Um, and that's just my name uh, with the credentials D-A-T-L-A-T-A-T-C after that. Perfect. And we'll link all those up when we get this released. So, well, I know we've been going back and forth for a while to get this one set up just with things getting crazy for the both of us, but I really appreciate your time. It, I took away a lot of it. I think people that are interested in this area and the setting will also take a ton away from it. Just some really good information to try and get started and start pitching the idea of why this could be such a huge benefit. So for that, I thank you um, and look forward to probably reaching out and talking to you again at some point um, as you continue to grow what you're doing and hopefully we can get a contract to do what we're hoping to do where I'm at as well. For sure. I think, uh, thank you for this opportunity and I'm grateful and um, I'm glad to get to, to talk with you. And obviously uh, the more chats we can have, the better. I think this has been fun. So I look forward to, to talking with you again. Perfect. Well, thanks again.